Well, good morning, Heart of the Canyons. Everybody doing well? I got one yes. Anybody caught up in Christmas chaos? It's good to have you here this morning. It really is. It's, uh, you know, that, that video, I, 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 the girls in the office found it. We're trying to do a little bumper video each service, and, um, and they said, well, we don't know if it really fits. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm, this whole season we've been trying to help you to kind of lift Jesus above all of the chaos and begin to see Christmas um, through his eyes instead of see, uh, you know, him through Christmas eyes. And, and it's been important. You know, I, I tell people all the time, one of, my, one of my life verses, one of the most important verses in my life is a, a verse um, out of Hebrews that says we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think I messed it up last week because I said we need to gaze at the world and glance at Jesus. And then I had to correct that because it's actually the opposite, isn't it? We gaze at Jesus and glance at our world. And if we do that, it's amazing how it affects how we see the world and how we see the world differently. You know, the reality is every one of us is going to just live life this week. You already lived it last week. You're going to live it this week. And you're going to see people. You're going to see circumstances, you're going to hear news, you're going to do all of those things, and if you are gazing at your world and glancing at God, you end up with a deep amount of hopelessness in your heart. But if you're gazing at God and glancing at the world around you, it not only gives you encouragement, but it changes the realities that you think you see around you some, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this to be true. God literally causes everything to work for good to those who love him and call according to his purpose. And while I can't tell you why things happen, I mean, I, I just don't have the, the, the capacity to explain why certain things happen in life. Deep in my heart, I know this, that whatever's happening, God causes it all to work for good. He didn't say it's all good, but he says he causes it all to work for good, not to everybody, but to those who love him and are calling to his purpose. What would happen this week? What would happen to your week this week if you made a conscious decision this morning before you leave to go out that door? In fact, you make a conscious decision this morning, before I even get into the message, that you will look at the listen to the message from God's perspective, that you will leave here in a little while and you will begin to look for Jesus in the midst of all that's going on in your world. Do you think that might change your life? But often what happens is we're gazing at everything that's around us and we run to God and say, help. And instead of saying, okay, God, I want to see you where you're at work in the world around me. And here's what I can guarantee you. I don't care what you're living in. I don't care what you're going through. God is always at work in the world around you. But you have to learn to see whatever's going on from God's perspective instead of trying to see God through the perspective of your circumstances. It says rejoice in the Lord. And the Bible never once says rejoice in your circumstances. It says be content. It says we've learned to be content whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. But the reason we can do that is because our perspective as followers of Christ on circumstance in our life is not derived from us or from our world. It's derived from God's perspective. And we know. Everybody say, we know. Yeah. Do you really know? 
we know that God causes everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Aren't you glad it doesn't say God causes some things? Say God causes everything to work for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And here's what I can tell you. I can't find the reason for a lot of things, but I can find purpose in everything. God has a way of helping us understand that he has a purpose. Uh, when my wife's father died, uh, when she was just uh, 13 years old, were you 13 years old? She crawled up beside her uncle one day, and I think she asked him why. I may not tell the exact story, the story exactly right, but I'm going to get close. You want to come correct me, you can. And she has to correct a lot of my stories because I, I exaggerate. No, I'm just kidding. But um, she, uh, she crawled, talked to her uncle, who's a godly man. He's with the Lord now. And I remember her telling me that he said to her, uh, Billy Carroll, because my wife's actual name is Billy. She's an Okie from Muskogee, by the way, place where even squares can have a ball. Okay. Love you, babe. Yeah. So her name's Billy Carroll. Billy Carroll, you can ask God for the rest of your life why this happened, and you'll never get an answer you like. But if you ask God to show you how, you'll find a lot of reasons, and you'll find that God has a purpose in everything that he does. And I can tell you today, one of the great purposes for me is that she says that this day that had her father been alive, she would not have attended Howard Payne University because uh, she was a daddy's girl and he probably would not have let her left, leave the Rio Grande Valley because she went from Anoki to Muskogee to uh, the Rio Grande Valley to come to Howard Payne. And had she not come to Howard Payne, I wouldn't have met her. And if I hadn't met her, my life would have been a lot different, and your lives would have been different too, those of you know who know her. See, God doesn't always tell us why, but God, through the course of our lives, lets us see many, many reasons as how he uses the adversities in our life. But all that comes because we choose to look at our life and circumstances, and it's hard sometimes. Some of you are going through stuff right now. I met with the Hollisters yesterday, and you're going through some stuff right now that make it really hard. But over the course of the time, if we believe, and because we believe, I'm not going to say if, because we believe, right, Hollisters? Because we believe that God causes everything to work for good to those who love him and call him according to purpose, we can see evidence of that in our life. So I hope this season you'll do it. Now, we wanted you this year to really kind of lift Jesus above all the clutter that we throw at this. I mean, parties upon parties and all those kinds of things. And so I, I did a couple of things this year. We tried to do a couple of things. First of all, we made this book available. It's called The Case for Christmas. Uh, and we, we bought a hundred of these thinking, oh, we'll have some left for next year. And uh, as of this morning, we had 30 left. After the end of the first service, we have six left. Okay, now here's why this matters. If you have questions about the historical legitimacy of the Christmas story, okay? Uh, Lee Strobel has written a, a good book, a, a short book, short read, okay? And this book will answer some of your questions. Uh, it really will. It's, it's a phenomenal book 
And, and here's the deal. If you don't have those questions, that's fine. You probably know somebody who does, right? Anybody know anybody who just doesn't believe, Christian, doesn't believe? There you go. Do you know somebody? Would you give them this book? Okay. I'm going to give you this book because here's the reality. I have six left. There you go. And if you, here we go. Let me get this back here. Let me, I'm getting, look at that. See that? I'm, I'm going to start throwing books. I got two left right here. Oh, my gosh. We're going to order some more books. How's that? Can I have some books? I'll have some books for you, okay? Well, I think you guys had your hand. Oh, man. The man can't even protect his wife. Son. I know where you were a lineman. You know, the worst place to hit a lineman with a football is in his hands. Um, <laughs> if you don't believe me, watch the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, best, place to, best place to hit their, worst place to hit their receivers right now this year. Second of all, we wanted to provide an opportunity for you to kind of sweeten the pot. Not pot, because I know it's legal in California now, so I have to be careful with that. Somebody say, we're giving out pot? So, yes, we are a very contemporary church. Uh, but we have these invitation cards, and on there, there's the breakfast potluck next week. Doesn't mean bring the pot and hope for luck, but that <laughs> brings uh, some food. It tells you what to bring. I think it's in your worship folder. Uh, at 9:30, 10, somewhere in there, we'll start eating. I think it says 10 o'clock on here. So 10 o'clock. And so we won't have the first service. So if you were planning on coming to first service, come and eat. And um, and then at 11, we're going to have a, a, a short service because I'm not preaching. And uh, so, uh, so if you would, uh, uh, pass these out, and then it also has the time of our, our two Christmas Eve services. Eve of Christmas Eve is at 7 in the evening, and then Christmas Eve is at 5. And I'd like for us to fill this room. Wouldn't you like to fill this room? I'll tell you something about the history of this church. You guys ready for this? Um, I look back, and about uh, nearly... 20 years ago, I don't remember the exact date. You know how many this church had on Christmas Eve one year? How many, anyone guess? How about 1,600? And you know why? Because in the early stage of this church's life, we realized that if we didn't invest and invite, and pe invite people, we, we wouldn't survive. And we were not just trying to make us survive. We were passionate about the gospel. Now, that's not to say we're not now, but I think over years, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can get real comfortable. You, you know what? Actually, I'll tell you something interesting. You can mark the date that our church began to kind of decline in large numbers. And that doesn't mean it was a healthy church, and I want you to know that. You can mark the date pretty much clearly when our church began to see some decline, uh, there was a, something that happened that you're enjoying right now that facilitated comfort. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Chairs. Padded chairs. For the first about 10 years of this church, we used the metal chairs in that closet right there every Sunday. And people said, well, you know, I just, somebody told me, so I just think we'd reach more people if we would get padded chairs. So, I know. 
Because when people come and their hearts are broken, they're not generally what the, worried about what this is sitting on. It's when we get comfortable many times. So I'm not telling you we're going to get rid of these chairs. Okay? Uh, unless you don't start inviting people. Okay? And so, uh, you know, I want you to do it. Now, we've, we've tried to do something to help you. This In this sack are uh, uh, packets of hot chocolate and candy canes. Okay? And there's an invitation inside of here. And we designed this for you to give to people. Uh, in the first service, it said two per family. Not many families took them. And so here's the deal. Take as many as you'll give away. But if you drink the hot chocolate and eat the candy that's in here, I pray you get sick. Okay? Because this is not for you. Okay, this is for you to give away and say, hey, we're having a Christ some Christmas events the next few days. I'd like to invite you to come. And we wanted to uh, manipulate you a little bit. <laughs> Don't say that. And, and do this. And so that's kind of what we want to do. So they're on this back table, okay? So when you leave, pick some up. Take them to your neighbors. Take them to people you work with. Take them to school. Uh, whatever you need to do. Let's get rid of them. I think there's about, 100 and, there's about 100 left back there at least. Am I right, Leslie? So that means everybody, if everybody here took two, we're gone. Fact, we don't have enough, but if you'll do that, please do that. So, we just wanted to help you to do that. All this is our attempt to lift Jesus into these things. And so, anyway, just a, a couple of things this morning, and uh, just look at that on the cross and think, What am I doing? There you go. No, I'm... all right, let's pray. Father, open our, your word this morning to our hearts. Father, I pray for those who have needs in this building this morning. Uh, we continue to pray for the Hollisters. Father, thank you for their faithfulness. More importantly, thank you for your faithfulness to them as they have um, gone through uh, a pain that is uh, beyond any understanding unless you've been there. And I pray, God, you'd bless them this morning as they continue to walk through the journey of faith Father, I pray for Virginia Reynolds this morning, a sister of a lady in our church today whose older sister is uh, struggling with Alzheimer's. God, you know how important that is to me because I've got a father struggling with some of the same things, and I just pray, God, that you would be with her and her family as they work and struggle to walk with her through such a debilitating disease. And Father, there are others in this room who have great needs today. Uh, we probably people in this room have needs we don't even know about. God, I pray that in the next few moments you would allow them the privilege of seeing into the fact that you are God of grace and truth. And Father, you extend grace to us in the time of need. And Father, we have truth that allows us to have hope. And I pray this morning that as we enter your word, that, God, your Holy Spirit would be faithful and that we would choose to listen. Um, God, I'm convinced uh, that in many cases we kind of go through the motion of going to church, but we don't really think and remember what we learned. Pray you'd drive these truths deep into our hearts so that our lives would be different. We love you today. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to look at the ornaments of faith, of our faith. 
And um, we're basing this out of John chapter 1, verse 14. And I hope you'll memorize this. This is really one of the briefest and most concise descriptions of the Christmas story that's in the Bible. And I want to I just read it together. Let's all read it aloud together. You guys need, look like you need a little awakening here. So let's read it aloud together. Let's, everybody read, look up. You can look on the page. You can look on there. Let's read it aloud together. Everybody ready? Here we go. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What a powerful verse. You know, we should stand when we read that verse. We really should. Let's read it again. I want you to stand in honor of this verse. This is the most powerful, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Okay, so let's read it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, let me tell you what. If we were really, really believing that verse right now, I believe that the next position we would take would be one on our face. If this verse does not facilitate in you a heart and an attitude of worship, I don't know what will. That the God of this universe, the God of this universe became flesh. Wow. And he dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory. Think of that. We've seen the glory of God. Glory is of the only son from the father. The only son from the father. And then it says these words, full of grace and truth. If those words don't stir your heart, you don't understand Christmas. And here's what will happen. <clears throat> if you don't understand Christmas, you'll get caught up in the trappings. <clears throat> Christmas chaos will get you. But if you understood, what we celebrate in this season is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. If you understand that, it will elevate Jesus above what you do this season. And that doesn't mean you won't do it, but you'll see these celebrations through the eyes of Jesus instead of try to find him in them. Be seated. Today we add ornaments to our imaginary tree. And I say imaginary because I've intended to get a real tree, but I haven't gotten a real tree yet. Uh, not here, I have one at home. Um, the ornaments on our tree at home are ornaments that represent years and years of amazing memories. Um, we, our, our, our ornament box is filled with gifts that have been given to us down through the years by uh, family. Uh, my grandmother, we have several, is it wreaths? I can't always tell the difference between you, my grandmother and your Aunt Tobes. 
uh, they crochet and they knit and do all those kinds of things and they create cro crocheted ornaments and we hang those on our tree every year. Uh, my wife's favorite is one, it's a mailbox and on the side of it it says, Cut and Shoot Texas. It's where we lived. Some of you said, I knew you were a redneck. Okay. I may give you that idea. Okay. But uh, it's, we, we, when, we, when we decorate the tree, and we kind of do it in stages, as I talked about last week, we decorate the tree, those ornaments are meaningful to us. Because the lights are great, they have meaning. The tree is great because it smells good and all those kind of things. But we hang those ornaments on our tree, they represent two things to us. They represent people through the years who have been recipients of the grace of God and have extended the grace of God to us. It's amazing to me when we put those up on our tree, the memories that begin to emerge. And we've got ornaments representing our kids through the years, and some of those are really kind of funny. Um, we found a guitar. Uh, what was that girl's name? That Taylor Swift, and if you push the button, it sings a Taylor Swift song, or it does. Well, it's not good now because the battery's dead. And so she, it's a long song, uh, not that I ever liked it. But it's just some great memories. You know, when you look at the ornaments of our faith, we could talk about a lot of different things, but in this scripture, there's only two of them, and I would say they would be represented by two things. They'd be represented by a cross, and they'd be represented by a Bible. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace is manifested in a cross. Truth is revealed to us in the word of God. And when Jesus came into the world, he came and he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Um, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Have you met anybody who's just full of grace and truth? I've met people who are partly gracious, like me, because I, I, I like to extend grace most of the time. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? I like to think of myself as a gracious person, unless you cut in front of me. You take the last cinnamon roll. I mean, I love the idea of being gracious. I just find that I am not that gracious many times. I can be very ungracious, be very judgmental, and be very condescending. I don't really extend forgiveness the way I need to sometimes. It's the reason why... I don't have good relationships with everybody in the world because I'm not always that gracious. Now, unless you think grace is just turning your head and acting though nothing's ever happened, it's a balance. It's actually not a balance. It's actually a sort of a, another truth because it says he doesn't just come in grace. He comes, he's full of grace and truth. Jesus said, if you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we say we like truth. Do you like to be lied to? Anybody here just love being lied to? Anybody like it? Okay, anybody ever lied to anybody? 
See, we like grace and truth when we're imposing on everybody else, but we don't necessarily like it when it's imposed on us. It's like uh, the illustration I've used, we like grace when it applies to us and mercy. We like justice when it applies to everybody else. Okay? What if God were to take the same attitude we had about those two things, grace and truth? Now, in our world, uh, conceptually, our world is telling us that there are no absolute truths. Have you noticed that? There are no absolute truths. And, of course, I tell people when they tell me there are no absolute truths, I said, then what you just said is wrong. But the Bible says that when Jesus came into the world, he was full of grace and truth, full of grace. He was completely gracious, and he was completely full of truth. He is truth. He is grace. He embodies it. And that's why this passage of Scripture is so amazing to me. And, and as we, we think about these two ornaments, I, I think about Mary and Joseph and what they saw when they looked into the face of Jesus on the night of his birth. Because on that night, they were gazing into the face of a child unlike any child that had ever been born before. He, 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 they were gazing into the face of a child that would provide for them and for us the grace needed to escape our past and the truth needed to live our life. And when they looked into this baby's face, I mean, they, they see grace and truth is what they see because Jesus was full of grace and truth. Let's talk a little bit this morning about what this child provided. And the reason he could provide it is not something he became. It's because of what he always was. Because, see, God's always been a God of grace. God has always been a God of truth. But God manifested grace and truth when Jesus came into this world. And basically, when you look at these two concepts, there are two things that are provided to us. First of all, there's grace that draws us to God. There's, there's a graciousness that sort of attracts us to Jesus. Are you attracted by Jesus? Are you drawn to him, honestly? Now, before you answer that question, when was the last time you spent quality time with him? Now, I know we can't do that in a bodily form, but, man, we have, a, we have the privilege as followers of Jesus Christ to be drawn into a relationship with God whereby we have fellowship with him. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship, I'll mention this verse in a minute, with God, and we have fellowship with one another. And it's so important that we understand this, that, that in grace, you and I have been given the privilege to be drawn into fellowship with God. John 1, verses 16 7 says, For from his fullness, notice that, he is full of grace and truth. John 1, 16 and 7 says, Then from, for from his fullness we have all received grace and truth. And he wasn't just grace and truth, and he came and there wasn't anything to it. It says, But from his fullness, from the fullness of grace and truth in Christ, we have all received. Get this, grace upon grace. 
Grace upon grace. Literally, it means a continual expression of grace. You know, as I grow older and I look back over my life, I realize that what accompanied me every day of my life, whether I knew it or not, was the grace of God. The grace of God. Um, do you know God, God's grace was uh, manifested in your life this morning when you got up? Did you know that? You, you say, well, how do you know that? You're here. Everybody take in a deep breath right now. Where did that air come from? You know, in the Bible, we call this common, the common graces of God. Common grace is what every person in this world, whether they know it or not, is a recipient of. If you've got air to breathe, you've got water to drink, food. It, oh, oh, let me back up. If you have life at all. If you have life at all. It's because God has given you life. And every one of us is, is a recipient of this common grace of God. And we experience it throughout our lives. For instance, uh, we experienced it as, as an infant. We didn't know it. We experienced it as a child. I mean, you, how many of you ever have, have one of those children where you think, if this kid lives to three, he's going he's to be lucky? <laughs> you got one of those? You guys know what I'm talking about? They're all standing on the high chair going, ah! You know, um, we experienced grace, obviously, in our teenage years, or we'd, none of us would have lived. Am I right? I mean, think about the things you did as a teenager. Think about how fast that car really was going. You think about the stupid things we've done through the course of our life, and but for the grace of God, poof. I mean, you think grace walked us through that period of time. Um, how many of you... Um, how many, how many of you are married? How many of you are still married? You've experienced the grace of God. Am I right? All the guys went. Now, everybody should say that. That's the grace of God. Marriage is hard, isn't it? Who said that? <laughs> it's a piece of cake, right? Yeah, that's right. It's tough. You know what? You know what's gotten my wife and I through what will be 40 years of marriage this next year? 40 years she's put up with me. Isn't that amazing? 40 years. Yes, I deserve applause. For, you deserve applause for that. You know what's gotten us through that? Grace. You know how much she extends grace to me? You do not want to know. But you know, I, I do extend a little grace to her. Grace has gotten it through marriage. God, God got us through raising teenagers. And you know, I, I'm not old yet, but I'm getting there. And you know what I've learned is that it's grace that brought me safe thus far. And it's grace that leads me home. It's grace that brought me safe this far, and it's grace that leads me home. Listen, you may not realize it this morning, but the only reason you're here is because God in his graciousness has withheld from you and from me what every one of us deserved. You see, sometimes we think the attitude of grace is that God turns his head and looks as though we didn't do anything wrong. That's not grace. The picture of grace is a cross. 
And the cross is where Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that should have been directed at me. And Jesus bore in his own body on a tree my sin so that because of faith, as I trust in him, I could be dead unto sin and made alive unto God. See, the idea that graciousness means we just turn our head and act as though something's not wrong is just downright idiotic. Grace steps in. And Jesus could do that because he was full of grace. He wasn't half grace. He was full of grace. And the only reason any one of us is here today is, that re- is because of that. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. The unmerited favor of God provided in Christ, get this, that draws us to him. Now, let me give you kind of a quick illustration, and I'll give you these next two points, or sub-points. Imagine the world that Jesus entered into. Okay, now, it's hard for you. If you've not studied history, you, you won't have a clue. That world had no concept of grace, to be quite honest with you, because everything was legalism and law. That's all it was. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean the law was bad. When God gave Moses the law, it was an act of God's grace because if we don't see where we're bad, we don't see our need to follow Christ or to accept Christ. But it had elevated to a point where, man, if you didn't fulfill certain requirements of the law, you couldn't participate in anything. In fact, the temple, if you remember the temple, the temple had this thing called the outer courts. And guess what? Guess what? That's the only place a Gentile could go. He was restricted from entering into the temple at all. He could go to the outer courts. He'd kind of hang around, hope something spilled over. Now, if you were Jewish, you could enter in to the outer courts, just inside the temple walls, but... uh, you know, you had to meet a lot of requirements to go beyond that. In fact, ladies, you were never, ever, ever allowed to enter in past that area. And then there's um, the place where the sacrifices are made, and then there's the Holy of Holies. And guess what? Only a priest could enter in or there once a year to make atonement for sin, and boy, what he went through to get in there, you and I wouldn't want to go through that. And you see, the Israelite mind in those days didn't see God as accessible. They saw God as restrictive. And and they learned it from their religious leaders because the religious leaders had elevated themselves in a sense of self-righteousness to a point that you, you had to go through certain rituals and cleansing rites before you could even get around them. In fact, it's told that, that when, when, when a unclean Israelite, which would be most of them, by the way, okay, when they're walking down the street and they see a, a, a priest that's walking down the street, what they would have to do is cross the street and go on the other side because they wanted to make sure that they didn't in any way corrupt the holy guy. Jesus enters the picture. And you know what's amazing to me about Jesus? He's actually the only self-righteous man that ever walked on the face of the earth. 
only one. And here's what's amazing. You know who was attracted to Jesus? The broken. The sinful. The tax collector. I don't like those guys either. The prostitute. Gentiles. Women with an issue of blood that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And yet they were drawn to him. Here's why. Because real graciousness is an attraction. Now, I'm going I'm to be real honest with you here for a moment. Maybe that's the reason many of the people out there don't want in here because we're not as gracious as Jesus is. Now, aren't we having fun? Let me, let me read this to you. Um, the two areas where we're drawn. Number one, we're drawn to him for salvation. We're drawn to him for salvation. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked at and touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. In other words, we saw it. We've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, grace draws us into salvific issue. He draws us into a place we recognize our need for salvation. Because here's what happens. We're going to see this. When truth exposes us for who we are, it also shows us who God is. And we feel lostness in that. But when Jesus comes, he, he draws us into a place where we recognize, we're manifested. We have a, a mechanism. We have a means, a way. And the way is not a philosophy. It's not some religious system. The way is a person. And we're drawn into salvation. The only reason any one of you here in this room is saved, if you're saved, is because God drew you. Not because you created some desire in and of yourself, because God drew you into relationship with himself. We're drawn into to him for salvation, and we're drawn to him then not just for salvation, but we're drawn to him for sanctification. In other words, it's not just about getting saved so we can go to heaven when we die. It, it's entering into a relationship with him whereby he begins the process of transforming us and making us to be more and more like Christ so incrementally that sometimes it doesn't look like it's happening. But he sanctifies us. The word sanctification is interesting because the word sanctification literally means to be set apart as different. In other words, God begins to set us apart. He begins to do something in us that makes us different. Not different from everybody out there, but different from what we were outside of Christ. And it's a process of sanctification. And we who are writing these, we are writing these things, he says in, in 1 John 4, 7. He says, we're, we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him 
while we walk in darkness, we continue to walk in darkness. I mean, where there's not dark spots in our life, but we just continue to walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all in sin. Now, please hear this. Sanctification doesn't just get me to a point where I get to live in relationship to me. Sanctification is the process where I learn to live in relationship to you. And Jesus begins a process of changing our hearts and loving one another. Ephesians says, by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works or unto good works, which God prepared in advance, we should walk in them. What are you drawn to? Honestly, were you drawn to Jesus this week at all? I mean, when was the last time this week? Did you get up in the morning and say, I just really need to spend some time with Jesus? You see, if you understand grace, grace draws us into a, a need not just to come to him for salvation, a need for him to change our hearts and minds and our lives. Grace that draws us to him. The second thing is truth that guides us in God. We have grace that leads us to God or draws us to God. We have truth that guides us in God. Again, one of the rare, rarest virtues in life is the truth. We, we say we like the truth. I mean, you just want people to tell you the truth, okay? And yet the reality is the only honest, truthful man that ever walked on the face of the earth was Jesus. And I'm drawn to that. I'm amazed by that. I really am. I'm just amazed at, at the fact that Jesus lives his whole life because he's born of the seed of God, not of the seed of man. And not one falsehood ever, ever crossed his lips. Not one. And you know why he could do that? Because he was truth. And he is truth. Jesus said to the disciples, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, not a way, not one of many ways. I am the way. I am the truth, not a truth, not one of many truths. I am the truth. I am the life, not a life. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, truth is the unveiled reality of God. It's the unveiled reality of God. Through Christ, we know who God is. Through Christ, we know what God would say. We know what God would teach. He is the truth. It's the unveiled reality of God revealed in Christ. And what it does is this truth now begins to guide us in our relationship with him. And here's what it does. First of all, it guides us to a faith that is sure. It guides us to a faith that is sure. 
Some of you here this morning and you think you believe if you died right now, you would hope that you'll go to heaven when you die. It bothers me when I talk to people and I say, if you were to die right now, do you believe you'd go to heaven? It just bothers me when people say, well, I hope so. You know, I don't want to die with that because that's not a believing hope. That's a doubtful hope. In fact, John says we don't have to think so. We don't have to hope so. We get to know so. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. You currently have life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. He says in John later, he said, these things have I written unto you who believe that you may know you may know you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. Do I believe I'm going to heaven when I die? I know I'm going to heaven when I die. You say, why do you know that? Because I put my full faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'm not depending on me one iota. I'm depending on him. And I have a faith that is sure. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a church member. I'm not going to church heaven because I, I'm, I'm, I've been baptized. I'm not going to heaven. And all those things may be important and good, but not one of those things will purchase for me the right to enter into heaven. Because when Jesus hung on a cross, just before he died, he cried these words. He said, it is finished, tetelestai. It's an accounting term. And what it means is that the debt has been paid in full. And I have a secure faith. So it guides to a faith that is sure. It guides to a faith that is secure, that is sure. It guides in a faith that is secure. I write these things who, to you who believe in the name of some God that you may know you have eternal life. And then look at the last one. It guides, to, guides me to live a life of faith that is seen. Let me ask you a question. I asked this question in the first service. I asked him the second question. It's a pretty fair question. You guys ready? If I walked in the back door here today, okay, and they walked in and said, you're all under arrest. For what? You're under arrest if you're a follower of Jesus. How many of you would allow them to put the cuffs on you? Okay, how many would you? Most of you would. I think I would. You know, I, I, I always boast what I would do. I don't know what I would do until it got there. I mean, if they were going to put cuffs on me, if they were going to say, bend over, we're going to cut your head off, I'd probably say, time out, let me think. Okay, That's, that is going on in our world, by the way. But let's just say that they walked in and they said, everybody here, everybody here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're safe. You go out that back door. Okay, now, let's just say you were arrested. Okay. And they took you before a court of law. If they based on it more than if they based it more than on what comes out of your mouth, if you were arrested for being a Christian today, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? If they said, "Okay, we're not going to listen to what we say. We're going to we're going to bring your family in here and ask them, is this person a real genuine Christian?" 
If you went to work, were you at work? Would they say, well, yeah, man, this guy, he's... What about your kids? What about the guys you're in school with? Young people. What about the people you uh, hang out with socially? If you were arrested for being a Christian and they based your confession on what you did instead of what you said, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Pretty tough question, isn't it? Um, when I pastored in Texas, I pastored a little church called Cut and Shoot, for those of you who didn't know. Cut and Shoot, Texas. That's where our ornament came from. Cut and Shoot, Texas. And you had to be a real Christian to live there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a great place. Some great believers there. We love Cut and Shoot. But I remember one day I was in town and I was talking to a guy and he said, all right, look, work at this plant out here. And I had a guy in my church, a couple of guys who worked in the plant there. And I said, oh, one of my deacons works out there. And he said, who is he? I gave him his name and he looked at me and he goes, he goes to church? <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> and he said, well, I can tell you this. If that man is the same at church as he is at work, I wouldn't call him a Christian. You see, guys, truth matters. We need grace, but we need truth. It's like, a, it's like an airplane, okay? How many wings are on an airplane? Two. How many of you would get in an airplane with one wing? Okay. How many of you get... A, 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 in an airplane with just grace, or you just trust your life to grace because that's what a lot of people, oh, God will forgive you. He just loves you just like you are. Yeah, that's grace, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. It's truth. Do you get it? And it's grace and truth. And here's the cool thing. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Well, how do I know that I am? Because you're drawn to him and you love his word. And you know, again, what I've been trying to do during this Christmas season is to get you to realize that we need to take Jesus out of the cultural clutter and we need to lift him above it, not so we escape the cultural clutter, but so we can start seeing the clutter the way he sees it. You know what I'm discovering? As bad as it may seem out there, God's still at work in the world around us. The problem is that God is not working. The problem is that many of us are not looking to see where God's at work. And we're gazing in our world. I mean, we're gazing, gazing at our world and we're glancing at God. And if we would gaze at God and glance at our world, here's what you'll discover. It'll start being okay. 
for you. And you'll start seeing the world the way God sees it. And if I could give you anything this Christmas, I'd give you a heart to believe that God has done everything necessary for you to know him. And I'd give you eyes to see that there's no person that you'll come in contact this week that's beyond the grace of God. Father, thank you for your word. Help us this morning to receive the fullness of Christ. Some people in this room need grace today because they didn't have a great week. And they just need to apply again the grace of God that forgives. And Father, I pray that this morning that if there's anyone here who's never trusted you, they've never accepted Jesus, they, they may have been religious, they may be philosophical, they, they, may, they may have gone to church their whole life, but they've never, ever, ever, ever accepted the full grace of God into their heart. I pray this morning they would just simply say, God, I surrender to you. And I give you my brokenness. And here's truth, God. When I give you my brokenness, you give me forgiveness and hope. Father, as we walk through these next two weeks that we call Christmas, lift Jesus out of our clutter and chaos and help us to bring order into the things we celebrate. And I pray that Jesus would be seen in all we say and do. We love you, God. We thank you for the gift of this child that came into our world. Help us to trust him. In Jesus' name I pray.